Welcome to the Harmony Christian Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by today's message from Pastor Josh Shoemaker. Well, it is the Christmas season, and so it wouldn't feel right to not preach about Christmas. Amen. So we last week we started uh, uh, talking about some different Christmas stories. We talked about um, the story where Mary visits her aunt Elizabeth, where John the baby leaps inside of Elizabeth's belly at the sound of Mary's voice. And so uh, that was a that's an incredible, incredible Christmas story that often gets overlooked. Uh, but today I want to spend some time with you in Matthew chapter two. Uh, a really familiar story there with the Magi from the East coming to visit Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, open them up with me to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to begin here in verse 1. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in, those days, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the East came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and I've come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, in Bethlehem of Judea for thus it is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judea, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring word or bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Herod's a liar, isn't he? When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till they came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. That verse is really interesting in the original language because it basically says joy over and over and over again to describe the excitement of the wise men. Verse 11, And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures and presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, then being divinely warned in a dream they sh that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Other than the fact that the wise men make really cute characters in Christmas programs, there's really not a lot that we know about these mysterious men from the East. These wise men, or magi, were a cast of astrologers from Persia. And contrary to popular belief, they were not kings. The song, We Three Kings of Orient, lied to you, okay? <laughs> they were not kings, and more than likely, uh, actually about 99% sure, there was many more than just three wise men that came. We get the idea that there was three because there was three gifts listed. 
Um, and because it's a lot easier to cast three wise men in a children's Christmas program than it is a dozen, right? Right, Della? I don't know if Della's in the room. Joe, you, you get, the, get what I'm saying. Um, so there was, they, they were Orient, though. I will, I will give the song that. They were uh, from Asia. They were from Persia. Um, but there, there's, there's not a lot that we know. Um, they weren't kings. Instead, they were servants dedicated to counsel, promote, and honor the king of Persia, whose official title, get this, was king of kings and lord of lords. Magi were devoted to astrology, like astrology, divination, and interpretation of dreams. And these men, who were not Jewish, who did not live anywhere near Israel, who practiced things that the Old Testament explicitly forbids, have come to worship Jesus. Has anyone in the room ever taken the time to ask, why? (laughs) How did these men who were not Jewish, they didn't grow up with the traditions of the Jewish people, right? They didn't grow up in a land or even near a land who practiced Judaism. They didn't grow up with believing or um, uh, hearing teachings about Yahweh. Yet they somehow know that Jesus was born and they have a desire to travel not just a few miles, but hundreds of miles, not just a few days, but months to come and see this newborn king who is announced to be king of the Jews. So not even their own king. What prompted these wise men to want to even come to see Jesus in the first place? You might say, well, they saw his star, right? Which is interesting that these are astrologers which again is a practice that is condemned. Isaiah condemns it, and I believe um, uh, Moses condemns it. Yet God gives them a sign in a manner in which is explicitly forbidden in the Old Testament. So God gives them a sign in the place, and there's a quick point here before I move on. The quick point is this, God will speak to you where you are. The, if these men are going to look in the stars for answers, then guess what? God is going to give them a sign and point them to himself and where they are looking. I love that. So these men see the star, but the star, how, how did they even know what the star meant in the first place? There's a character in this story that is not mentioned in the Matthew chapter 2 verse, or uh, the Matthew chapter 2 story. He's an unsung hero in the story that was alive somewhere between four and 500 years before the star ever even appeared to the Magi. This unsung hero's name was Daniel. Daniel, if you don't know much about him, I'll give you a quick understanding of Daniel. Daniel was a prisoner of war in Babylon under the rule of Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel had quickly earned favor uh, under Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom 
for being wise, having knowledge, and get this one, for being good looking. It pays to be good looking, apparently. The Bible says so, right? Look it up yourself. It's kind of fun. Um, for being wise, knowledgeable, and it says for being handsome. He got favor with in the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar. Apparently, that was important to him. But he quickly grew in favor with, uh, the Nebuchadnezzar, with Nebuchadnezzar and the kingdom there. And then um, one evening, King Nebuchadnezzar, I'm going to call him King Neb for short. King Neb had a disturbing dream. And he asked his wise men, these magi, to interpret the dream for him. They were unable to do so. And so Nebuchadnezzar orders that all of the magi in the land to be executed. Talk about having pressure in your job, right? Like if you get, can you imagine that? If you get something wrong, you don't get reprimanded. You get executed, right? Neb don't mess around in his kingdom, okay? So they're, they, Nebuchadnezzar, they can't interpret the dream, so he orders the execution. The executions begin, and uh, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are all considered wise men in the kingdom, right? So their heads are on the chopping block too. So Daniel goes to a place of prayer, begins praying to the Lord for the ability to be able to interpret the dream of the king. The Holy Spirit comes to him and enables him to interpret the dream. He goes to the king, interprets the dream to the king, and stops the executions in their tracks. Can you imagine how popular Daniel immediately became with the magi that were left, right? Yeah, they loved Daniel, the other magi. And so, again, just Daniel keeps earning favor with this, this pagan and cruel king of Babylon. So much so that King Nebuchadnezzar makes him the chief of the magicians, of the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers, which is hilarious to me. Because you have Daniel who refused to defile himself with the king's food, but he's totally cool with give, be given the title king of the magicians and the soothsayers. He doesn't want to eat the king's salad, right? But he's totally okay with being called a sorcerer, right? <laughs> That Daniel is, is, I think, one of the top 10 most fascinating people in Scripture. His story is amazing. He goes into the deepest, darkest places and goes there and earns favor and, and turns the heart of one of the darkest kings in the Bible. It's absolutely fascinating. But Daniel doesn't become offended with the title. Instead, he uses the title to to declare the kingdom of God to a people who had no clue who God was. I could preach right now on Daniel. I love, love that Daniel, who was a prisoner of war, he was stolen from his homeland. Nebuchadnezzar had, had people he knew killed. Yet the Bible tells us that Daniel grew to love Nebuchadnezzar and serve him with his whole heart fascinating story. So Daniel earns favor with the king of Persia or with the king of Babylon. He earns favor 
with the magi, the magicians, which that's what magi is short for. It's short for magicians. With the astrologers, he earns favor with them. And then guess what Daniel begins to do? He begins teaching them about Yahweh. He begins teaching them about this God who has mercy and grace. He begins teaching them about this God who led the people through this Red Sea and set them free. He begins teaching them the stories of his ancestors about the goodness of his God named Yahweh. Not only that, Daniel, I believe it's in Daniel chapter 9. Let me look to make sure. I don't want to lie to you. <laughs> it's not good to lie when you're preaching. That's tip one for anybody who wants to become a preacher. Daniel, yeah, it's Daniel chapter 9. Not only is he teaching them about Yahweh, but in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel gets visited by a familiar angel, Gabriel. Gabriel brings Daniel a prophecy about a Messiah who is to come. About a Messiah who is going to come and he's going to set people free. He's going to set the Jewish people, the, the people of Israel free. And not only does he give him a prophecy about who, but he actually gives them an idea of when. It's that 70 times 7 weeks prophecy, which the magi are able to then interpret and begin, be able to figure out approximately when this king is to be born. And so Daniel receives this prophecy about this Messiah is to be born. He, in the prophecy, it gives an idea of when he's going to be born. And so he's teaching the Magi this. And generations after Daniel, these Magi have passed down these traditions that were taught by their chief magician, Daniel. Until we get to the point now where it is time for the Christ to be born. Now these magi are looking into the stars to see if it is time for the Messiah, the King of the Jews, to be born. They see the stars in the sky, and they know that it's time for Daniel's God to come incarnate on the earth. And now they're going to go and not only see this God, but worship him. So these magi come from the east because Daniel taught them the ways of Yahweh. In verse 3, these magi come into the city of Jerusalem. And it says, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. Why would Herod have been troubled at the magi coming? The sophisticated answer is that he, would, he was worried that he would lose his position as king of Judea. To put it in more expressive terms, Herod was an insane, paranoid psychopath. <laughs> to, to give you an idea of what I mean here with Herod, Herod was an extremely, like I said, he was an extremely paranoid king. He was a non-Jewish king of the Jews. He had gotten to his position as king of the Jews because of his favor, his earned favor with Rome. 
and because he was cruel and knew the right people to kill at the right time in order to earn his position as king of the Jews. So he's a very vicious, cruel king, and he was extremely insecure and extremely paranoid, coupled with the fact that he was mentally insane. And what you get then is a lethal ruler, right? To give you an example, uh, Herod was married two times. His first wife, he uh, believed was conspiring against him, so he had her executed. He got married again to another woman, thought she was conspiring against him, and had him executed. I imagine after the second execution, Herod's dating life kind of took a hit. What do you think? Maybe he could get away with one wife, right? Executing one wife. But two, that's, that's a little far. So he executes both of his wives. He also has two sons who the same scenario plays out. He expects them of trying to take his throne, so he kills one of them. And then the next one he believes is trying to take his throne, kills them. Later on is found out that the conspiracies were not true. The rumors were false, but oh well, the deed's done, right? So this is the type of man Herod was. To give you another idea, well, let me, let me say this. Caesar Augustus is quoted saying this, that it's better to be a pig in Herod's house than a son. <laughs> that the pig has a better chance of surviving than his own sons do. He also, again, just the kind of political leader he was, when he, when he, before he was king, several years before he was king, he was living in Judea, and he had murdered somebody, of course, and he was standing before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was terrified of him, but the chief priest of the Sanhedrin said that we have to bring justice, right? So they, they are going to convict Herod of the crime and bring punishment to him. Somebody sneaks Herod out, and he escapes, so when Herod eventually becomes king of Judea, gets what the first thing Herod does as king? He executes the Sanhedrin and places his own men in the position. This, this is the kind of king that he was. So, so when it says that Herod was troubled at the idea of a king of the Jews being born just seven miles down the road, you can understand why he was troubled. You can also understand the B clause of that verse, why all of Jerusalem was troubled with him. Because they know what kind of king they have. They know what kind of trouble is coming down the road because of the paranoia of their king. And that fear is realized later on when Herod orders the execution of all the children of all the young boys in Bethlehem two years and younger, which many scholars believe was actually probably around 20, 20 or so young boys that were executed at that time. So this is Herod. They come to Herod. They tell him that a king has been born, and Herod immediately becomes paranoid. In verse, we'll go on, verse 4. And when they had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, Herod inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, and this is out of Micah chapter 5, verse 2. They said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written in the pro uh, written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not the least among the rulers of Judea. 
For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from where, what time the star had appeared. So this gives us a little bit of timeline here um, and understanding the timeline of the wise men, that they had actually seen the star probably about two years um, before they actually get to Jerusalem. We know this because it was two years and younger, boys two years and younger, that Herod had executed. So we're looking at about a two-year time frame here. Um, it took probably uh, several months for the Magi to travel to Jerusalem, okay? And uh, then let's, let's go ahead and look here in verse 9. It says, When they had heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with exceedingly great joy. I just want to take a second and uh, point this out for all of my, my Bible nerds in the room. Do we have any Bible nerds in the room that just like the little nuances in Scripture? Anybody? Raise, go ahead and raise your hand. I want to see the Bible nerds so I know who to nerd out with later on. Okay. So this is just, just for you this morning. Well, the rest of you can listen to, but. Many theologians believe that Matthew introduced Jesus as the second better Moses, okay? Taking God's people, so, so Jesus has come to take God's people through another exodus from slavery into the promised land. Matthew, uh, the gospel of Matthew was written to the Jewish people. And this is important for, for this here and also for what we're going to talk about here in just a minute. So Matthew was written to the Jewish people. So in this story alone, you can see some parallels that Matthew is purposefully bringing out that the Jewish people who, who would know Moses and his stories like the back of their hand, right? They grew up hearing these stories over and over and over again. So there's some parallels here. So, so let, let's just, I just want to point out a couple of these parallels. Herod orders the death of the male children to and under. Back in the stories of Moses, Pharaoh orders the death of all the male children in Israel. Remember that? For the same reason, to get rid of the Redeemer that is prophesied to have come. We also see this. Jesus was saved by fleeing to Egypt. Remember, the angel comes to Joseph in a dream, tells him that Herod is wanting to destroy Jesus and tells him to go to Egypt. Well, in Moses' story, Moses was saved by the Pharaoh's daughter, an Egyptian princess, right? And goes to live in the palace in Egypt. And now here we see the star. The star leads the wise men as the clouds and the fire led the Israelites through the desert. So you can see here the parallels that Matthew brings into the story, which is, again, just some little nuances in this story that I just think are fascinating of how, how there's, there's layers in Scripture. And that's really what I want to show to you with this little bit here this morning. There's so many layers in Scripture. And it's just beautiful. So that's just for my Bible nerds here this morning. So the, 
Magi get led into the city. Now, contrary to modern paintings and manger scenes, the wise men did not meet the Holy Family at the manger. They were not there the night that Jesus was born, as the shepherds were. They were instead, at this point, the Holy Family. Again, this is probably close to two years after Jesus was born. So the Holy Family is actually living in a house by this point. And it's confirmed on verse 11. It says, And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I want you to imagine this scene with me. Imagine how this visit from the Magi would have stirred up the community. Not just the house of Mary and Joseph, but the community of Bethlehem. Imagine these these pagan magicians from the East. And again, there was many more than three. Scholars all have different answers as to how many they were. Some believe there was a whole entourage because again, it stirred up a commotion, it tells us, when they got to Jerusalem. So imagine the community and the response of the community as these magi come into their city. Imagine them coming into the house of Mary and Joseph. Imagine the knock on the door, right? They didn't have a ring camera back then to tell them who was there. So imagine opening, Joseph opening the door and this entourage of magi from the east are standing at his door. And they walk into the room and they all gather in and there's this little boy, about two years old, playing on the floor in the middle of the room, laughing and playing and maybe sitting on his mom's lap, you know, just running around. And these magi come in with these elaborate gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They hit up a essential oil shop before they came, apparently. They come in and they, they present these kings, this, this little two-year-old boy sitting in the middle of, of the floor, and they lay at his feet these magnificent gifts. And then these, these prestigious, highly gifted, highly intelligent counselors of a king bow their knees and put their faces on their ground before this two-year-old little boy and begin to worship him. What an amazing scene. Can you imagine how this scene would have reinvigorated Mary and Joseph's faith in who they were hosting in their house? How it would have reminded them the importance of their mission to care for this young boy who was the Savior and King. What's also interesting about this story was not only who was in the room, but who wasn't. These magi were in the room. Mary and Joseph were in the room. Jesus was in the room. But there's another character in this story that should have been there, but wasn't. If you remember clear back at the beginning of this chapter, 
when the Magi come, they tell Herod that a king is to be born. Who is it that Herod calls for? The scribes, the teachers, the ones who knew exactly where the Messiah was going to be born. The ones who knew the scriptures inside and out. And when Herod said, where is the Messiah? Where is the king of the Jews to be born? It didn't take them any time at all. They didn't hesitate. They said, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. He is to be born in Bethlehem. These men who study the Torah inside and out. The Bible tells us that when the Magi left and took the journey six miles down the road, that the scribes and the Pharisees stay in Jerusalem. Isn't it interesting that the ones who knew the word, the Bible, the scriptures the best are the ones who took the Savior for granted? The ones who should have been in the room first were the ones who stayed in the palace with the corrupt king. You have these pagan magicians who have spared no expense, who have taken a journey that would have cost them a great deal of money, who have taken a journey that I would have been extremely dangerous to travel who have not only paid for the journey, but they have brought with them these extravagant gifts of frankincense, gold, and myrrh and laid them at his feet. These men who were not even Jewish had given everything to come see this king, but the ones who knew the scripture the best wouldn't even travel six miles down the road to see him. It's not enough to have Bible knowledge. It's not enough to have scriptures memorized. It's not enough if you are not willing to be in the room. It's not enough to just attend service. It's not enough to just be able to quote John 3.16. I want to be in the room. I want to be in the room. I want to hear his laughter as he's playing on the floor. I want to see his eyes light up when the wise men present him this extravagant, sacrificial gift. I want to be able to hear his voice as he's saying his first few words as a two-year-old. There's so many Christians who are content with knowing the right answers, but don't do what it takes to be in the room. Who don't go that extra step beyond the scriptures. And listen, I, I'm not 
degrading the scriptures. But the scriptures, as we have said, as we have said many times in this room, the scriptures are meant to bring us to him. Micah chapter 5 wasn't there just so we could have some knowledge about who, where the Messiah would be. It was a roadmap for those scribes and Pharisees to find him. But they were content just knowing the right answer. My challenge to you this Christmas season is not just to know the stories. To not just know the right answers, but get in the room. Get to the place where he is. Matthew 6, 6, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in heaven. Why? Because that is where the father is. The whole point of Matthew chapter 6 is not just teaching us how to pray. It's teaching us why we pray. We go to the room and we shut the door, not just to pray. We go there because that is where he is. He's in the secret place. In this story, if I had to choose whether or not I wanted to be the scribe that had all of the wisdom knew all of the traditions, or I wanted to be the pagan magi that maybe didn't know all of the answers. They didn't maybe have all of the right um, doctrine or theology. They maybe didn't have everything perfectly right, but there is one thing that they did have, and it was a desire to see the eyes of the king. And I would take that over all the knowledge in the world. So again, my challenge to us this Christmas season, let's go beyond just the knowledge. Let's go beyond just the stories and knowing what the Christmas season is. Let's be in the room with the Savior. Let's lay down everything that needs to be laid down. Let's sacrifice everything that has to be sacrificed to be in his presence and to pursue him with everything that we have, amen. Let's go ahead and stand together this morning. One last thought as we close here this morning, as I said before, the book of Matthew was written to the Jewish people. Isn't it interesting that here in the second chapter of Matthew, the beginning of the book, that Matthew tells a story of pagans finding Jesus. What is Matthew saying? What is Matthew doing here in this moment? He is saying that Jesus has come to save everyone. Jews who thought the Messiah was just for them are reading a story telling them that Jesus has come to save and to rescue everyone. Father, we thank you for your presence again here this morning. Jesus, we thank you for scripture and wisdom and knowledge. But Father, all of those things are useless if it doesn't bring us to your feet. 
Father, I pray that this Christmas season that we would find ourselves in the room. Father, that we would find ourselves in the room where your presence is. Father, that we would do whatever it takes to walk in your presence, Jesus, and to be those who pursue you with our whole hearts. Father, we honor you this Christmas season, and we thank you once again that you chose to come to this earth to put on flesh, to walk through this life, to experience suffering so that we could be co-glorified with you. We give you all the glory and all the praise in Jesus' holy name. And everyone said, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more messages like this or information about our church, please visit harmonychurchfamily.org.